previously on Missing Richard Simmons. Hi! In February 2014, Richard Simmons ghosted the world. All of a sudden, nothing. He wasn't talking to anyone. He wasn't talking to his staff. He straight up got up and disappeared. I'm not trying to just blow smoke. He saved a lot of people's lives. He's done some Richard stuff. Simmons has done some stuff. I live I a very recluse life. I know you this do. This is about the, the most, you know... Hanging out you've done. Yeah, like four people in a room. That's... I teach my class, I kiss everybody, I take hundreds of photos, and I go home. You do, and... and I socialize I, with no one. I'm Dan Taberski, and this is part two of our search for Richard. So, where is Richard Simmons? Where do we start? Today, we are going to dig into some of the clues from the days and weeks before he disappeared that might give us a sense of what happened to Richard after that. Then we're going to cut right to the chase and go looking for Richard at his house uh, and see what happens there. But before all that, some context. We're going to take a look inside Slimmons, his exercise class of 40 years, and the very different picture it paints of your favorite fitness guru. Ready? This is Missing Richard Simmons. The best way to understand Richard Simmons is to understand Slimmons, his exercise studio in Beverly Hills. And the best way to understand Slimmons is to learn the rules. Richard Simmons. Rule number one, know your place. When you're at Slimmons dancing on top of that worn wooden floor, beneath that disco ball, and in front of those chipped mirrored walls, you can't just stand anywhere. Richard Simmons. Gawkers and newbies beware. The first two rows are for regulars only. This is Rick and Paul. They earned their spot. I think for a while we were in the third row, I want to say. Yeah. And on then the we, left side. And we were on the left side. So <laughs> if you're facing the mirror, we were on the left side by the big fan. Mm-hmm. And so we eventually were literally the front row by the big fan. That's not bad. We were front row. <laughs> yeah. it, we, we made it. We made we it. We made it. Slimming. You did. <laughs> Rule number two. No cell phones, no cameras, no recording devices. They are not screwing around about this. After the class, Richard will hang around forever taking pictures with anybody. But during the class, don't even try it. And this is probably because of rule number three. Richard is going to get a little freaky. Richard Simmons. Amid the angel kicks and leg lifts, Richard's class is a little bit performance art and a lot of bit burlesque, as the regulars in the class can attest to. Everyone go, lines up around the perimeter of the room, and he invites people to dance with him. And if you're a man, he asks you to take your shirt off. And if you're standing next, close enough to hear him, he'll be like, take your shirt off. No, come on, take your shirt off. And I'm like, fuck it, take your shirt off. He'll like, get in their face. And at first I thought that was really, I was like, whoa. There were times when like he would flash us and we'd be like, oh my God, like I cannot believe he did that. But he does it all the time. Like he just he's very sexual and very flirty. Crawling through guys' legs and having them do push-ups on top of him and touching and et cetera, et cetera. And finally, rule number four, and this is the big one. At some point in that 90-minute class, Richard Simmons is going to bear his soul. Yeah, it's like you're you're a bachelorette party and he's the drag queen and he's just going around entertaining. This is my friend Lauren Weedman. We met at The Daily Show. She was a correspondent and I was a producer. I dragged her to Slimmons with me one time. 
but only one time. I remember thinking that Lauren Weedman is going to love this. If any of my friends were going to get it, you were going to get it. And that after we were driving home, you were weirded out. Well, because being sensitive to other people's, you know, as ladies can sometimes be, sensitive to what's going on. Like everything. It's like, when it's, it's not what he's like on TV. He's even more hilarious, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until he started crying. Right. Now it's gone into a zone of what's happening. Now, it's got to be said that Richard Simmons is known for being a crier. Besides hysteria, tears are his go-to sentiment on talk shows. But this is different. It has happened in every class I've ever been to. Sometimes it's brought on by a story about someone he's helped or tried to help. Sometimes it's a personal story about his own struggles. And sometimes it just seems to kind of sneak up on him, like when he's working us through some arm curls with tiny weights that I swear to God cannot weigh more than my actual hand. And then he'll just lose it. And it was out of control crying. At the time, I remember thinking it was scary. Because you don't know what to do. Because you're sitting there doing, like, jumping jacks. Yeah, and he takes it to... It goes so far. And then he's crumbling right in front of you. And you're like, well, I should... He, what do we do now? And not, no one, no one's going to take care of him. We're not going to go over there and go like, Richard, come here, buddy. Like, bring it in. Like, as if we're there to watch it. So I come back tomorrow and watch him lose it again? <laughs> it's cool. Like, you know, is this where Amy Winehouse drinks herself to death? She'll be at this bar tomorrow? Yay! The reason this is important? Because Slimmons was a place where his students came not just for exercise, but for real help. He set the tone to make everyone be like, oh, it's okay, I could talk about this. Like, this is a safe space, no one's going to judge me. I just could not, I just needed help, like I couldn't quit eating, and I was working out just the same. Super in tune with how other people are feeling and super empathetic. There wasn't anything that he couldn't relate to, that he couldn't connect with. They came for inspiration and support, and Richard gave them those things. And like, people were able to speak freely about those kind of things. But it's those moments of crying from Richard that remind me that he, too, was opening himself up in that class. He was sharing really private stuff several times a week. Yes, with total strangers, but also with those people in the first two rows. People he's known and loved, some for years. And that's what made Slimmons not your usual exercise class. It was weird and charged and emotional ritual almost for everyone involved. And that's why Richard's ending it so abruptly is so utterly confusing. So I struggle with the idea that he owes people something. This is Slimmon's regular Dave Garcia. But I think that given the super intense, super personal relationships that he maintained with so many people and respect for the soul-bearing information and feelings that they shared with him for so long, he'd have the graciousness to say, hey, I'm stepping back, but I'm okay. And I, and I want you to take care of yourself. My name is Jerry, Jerry Sinclair. What do your friends call you? When I was becoming a grandmother, I gave myself my own name and I decided it should be Gigi. That stands for Grandma Gorgeous. <laughs> and I gave it to myself. <laughs> can I call you Gigi? Yes, of course. You can too. Thank With you, beautiful teeth. Thank Aren't you. they beautiful? They are beautiful. They really are. Sort of. 
That's my producer Henry's teeth we're talking about. Did you wear braces? Jerry's been exercising with Richard since pretty much the beginning. She's the cornerstone of the front row at Slimmons, always in full makeup with hair done and giant rocks on her fingers. She's rich. In fact, she lives in the same building in West Hollywood where Elton John used to live. But she's so aware and upfront about how lucky she is and feels that you just love her for it. Tell me again how old you are, if you don't mind me asking. If you want to ask, I will tell you. I'm 94 years old. Is that right, Virginia? That's right. I don't want to lie to you. She's also crazy limber. As we talk, she's got one leg up on the coffee table. Not many people have a 40-year relationship with their exercise instructor. Well, he's easy to love, and I do. I did become like a second mother. Wonderful. You are the light of Slimmons. Everybody that meets you gets so excited to meet you. That's Richard toasting her at her 90th birthday party. It doesn't seem like a huge affair, just family and friends. For Gigi, Richard was both. And Jerry has blessed me with her love, has let me meet her family, but not too often because they think I'm way, way, way too silly for Jerry. (laughs) And they think that we're going to remake Thelma and Louise, but we're not. (laughs) It's not true. We're not dyeing our hands and care and going into a little convertible and leaving you on. I've talked to a lot of people about Richard. They all pretty much agree that Richard ghosting the public is one thing. Richard ghosting his friends, even his close ones, is another. But Richard ghosting Jerry, it's alarming. I mean, she's such a wonderful person. Like how and and he was driving her to class and stuff. Like they were so close. Like how could he just He drove her to class? Oh yeah, and at night in the winter and yeah, it gets dark, you know, so she can't see. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So he would pick her up. Does Jerry deserve at least an I love you, I need to do this for myself, it has nothing to do with you at 90-some-odd years old? Yeah. If anybody deserves just a 30-second phone call, she would be the one. But Jerry never got that call. What kind of flowers are these? These are geraniums. The roses wouldn't grow. And even as she's showing me the little garden on her terrace, she's still looking for answers. What do you know, anything? I think people are worried about him. I I miss him very much. You were telling me last time that you drove by once and you saw the gate was open and you went and knocked on the door. Yeah, I think I did, honey. And they did tell him that I was there, but it didn't make a particle of difference. Do you think I should try to find Richard? I, I beg your pardon? Do you think I should try to find Richard? I wish you could. Just, I wish you could. I'm going to try. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. That's the Gettysburg Address, and it's being recited by a guy in a poofy miniskirt and a shredded Power Rangers crop top. Do you know the whole thing? I know a lot of it. He's Will and Belly. You may have seen him on RuPaul's Drag Race. He got kicked off mid-season for some unexplained rules violation, which I remember at the time made me like him more. Um, and so, so you went for that first class and you kept going? Yeah. After that, I was like, wow, no one's judging me. I don't feel out of place. Um, I'm a fag with a couple of other fags and a bunch of women. And... I don't feel judged. It was a judgment-free zone, pretty much. It was great. 
So they became friends and even started collaborating on some stuff, including a video for this really weird song that Richard released called Hairdo. I'm not gonna lie and say that I think Hairdo is a great song, but it is singularly Richard. I expect Willem to be like everyone else I've talked to so far. Upset, confused, and totally down to help me find Richard. But he's not. Like, decidedly not. He might have been done, and he doesn't owe shit to anybody. He pulled back that curtain a little bit and gave people that personal interaction, and now they feel a loss. And you're like, well, why don't you want to be my friend and teach my class? And we had a great relationship. Sorry, girl. Bye. That's what, what he did. He did a bye, girl, bye. Bye. What? What about, all the, what about all the people who, it wasn't just friendship, it was helping people. It was, I live in Iowa and I weigh 800 pounds and Richard calls me every week to, you know, to get me to try to think about losing weight. What about those people? He reached out to them. Is there a responsibility there? Well, that letter that he got, he didn't have to answer it. It was out of the goodness of his heart that he did answer it. So if they got one answer once, they should be happy. They shouldn't be bitching now that they're not getting an answer. But you what know? if you come to depend on that person? Well, like, what if it's not about celebrity? What if my therapist of 40 years decided that he wasn't going to show up anymore? And, and, I, I, and every week I go to his office and he's there and I talk to him about my problems and he really helps me. And I may be paying him, but it helps. And then he just stops showing up and doesn't tell me why. He was earnest and that takes a lot of energy. And I don't know how he kept it up for as long as he did. So he's allowed to go away. He wants to go away. He wants to live his Marlena Dietrich fantasy. I want to be alone. Goodbye, girl. Did you try to reach out to him? Mm-hmm. Does it sting a little bit? No. How can you lose what you've never owned, you know? Like, our relationship was partly mine. I partly owned that, and it's not there anymore. And he won't reply anymore. You know, it sucks. Which brings me back to if somebody is, if you think has issues in that way mm -hmm. and they say, don't talk to me, leave me alone, I want to be alone, I don't need you, I'm fine. Is there a point where if you love somebody or if you're their friend that you don't take no for an answer? Legally, no. Personally, you do you. After the break, my producer Henry and I go find Richard. We're parked behind a tree as if we're like trying to hide. <laughs> we are trying to hide. So let's just go knock on his door. Yeah. So we're just gonna knock on his door. That's it. Are you like, nervous? I am nervous. I feel like somebody's house is their private place, and I don't want him to feel like I'm invading his privacy. On the other hand, I know Richard. I'm Richard's friend. I've taken his class a million times. I've been to his house. We're friends. And so this is just a friend. It's both. I'm creepy. I'm a creepy friend. I have lots of creepy friends. They're not that bad. <laughs> but where are we sitting right now and why? <laughs> We're sitting in front of Richard's house like two creepy friends. 
Richard's mansion in the Hollywood Hills. His manager maintains that's where Richard's been since he checked out. In his house, hanging out for two years, just sitting there. So we walk up to the new security fence to ring the buzzer. And then this. There's no buzzer. That's a kick in the head. Who doesn't have a buzzer? That's hardcore. Wow, that is sincerely hardcore. <laughs> somebody, somebody literally doesn't have a way for you to knock on the door. Let's keep looking. I'm just surprised. How do you, what, like, what if it's like, mailman? What's our, what's our backup plan? There's no buzzer, there's no doorbell, there's no, like, knocker, there's no way. There's two fences between me and the house now. And there's literally no way of reaching the people inside besides screaming. And I'm not going to do that because that's stupid. So as far as detective work goes, um, knocking on Richard's door to see if he's home ain't going to work. But then there's some activity on the side of the house. Like there's literally there's somebody coming. Somebody's coming. No, no, I just saw somebody. Oh. Teresa. How are you? Fine. I'm good. Richard's housekeeper, Teresa, walks outside the kitchen door with the recycling. So let's stop for a minute. Before I get to what happened next, you got to understand that this is no ordinary housekeeper. Teresa Ravellis has been working for Richard Simmons for over 30 years. She lives there. She's pleasant, but gruff. And she takes her job and her relationship with Richard super seriously. She's incredibly loyal to Richard and Richard to her. Um, one time, <laughs> Richard called me and he goes, how about dinner? I said, okay. This guy is Phil Trotter. He was friends with Richard back in the 90s and knew both him and Teresa really well. He said, I just bought Teresa a, uh, a Mercedes and she's going to drive us to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> he bought his housekeeper a Mercedes? That's stunning. It didn't surprise me. I wasn't really shocked. I mean, it's an interesting story, you know, to buy your housekeeper a, uh, a Mercedes, but it didn't surprise me. It's that kind of relationship. If Richard Simmons has a gatekeeper, it's Teresa Ravellis, who right now, as Henry and I are standing in front of Richard's house, is in fact literally the gatekeeper. Teresa, how are you? Fine. I'm good. I talked to her from behind the fence. She's a little hard to hear. I blame Henry. Is Richard here? She says he's not home. You know I'm doing this. Now she says he's home, but he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Not even five minutes? I'm doing that. I've sent him letters and recordings and emails and... She says that? I don't know. Then she went inside. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. And it's some, like, I got, I'm just frustrated. All right, let's go. Um, yeah. It is so fucking weird that that guy would come out of that house on a, literally if somebody sneezes, Richard Simmons would come running out of that house. And now, like, I could literally set the place on fire, like the Branch Davidian compound, and he would stay in there until he was born to a crisp. Like, the dude is not leaving. 
I just think that's crazy. I don't get, I don't get how somebody changes on a dime like that. So what did we learn? We learned Teresa remembers me. Great. That's a plus. Um, we know that Teresa recycles. Because <laughs> she was clearly taking out the recycling. Um, and we know that Richard's home. She did not... She didn't say Richard's not here. At first she said Richard wasn't here, and then she said... Richard's here, but he's not talking to anybody. So already we broke through. I think this was a huge success. Let's go home. I don't think that confirms either. She said both. So ne- neither is proven by what she said. Right. She could have been like, oh, I'm supposed to tell people he's not home. And then I just messed up and accidentally admitted he's home. Or it could be the opposite, where he's not home. And she for- she messed up the first time and then tried to fix it. Right. It's also, at some point, it's just silliness. Like, it's not Julian Assange is not hiding out in there. If he was, Julian Assange would at least come out and tell me himself that he didn't want to talk to me. Julian Assange would probably talk to me. Do you want to talk to Julian Assange? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody get Julian Assange on the phone. In any case, this is not the last we will hear from Teresa Revelis. For the first year of Richard's disappearance, there isn't much to go on. Richard's not saying a word, and his reps are barely saying more than that. So I'm left to try and figure out for myself what kind of event in Richard's life would precipitate such a severe shutting off from the world. Let's discuss the two main theories at that time. First, the knee theory. A few weeks after he disappeared, a sign showed up on the door of Slimmons. It said this, Richard has been undergoing physical therapy for a persistent knee problem and has been instructed to stay off his feet. Richard will not be teaching for the remainder of March unless his condition improves. In fact, Richard's knee problems were no secret. He'd had them before. Here's Will and Billy. I know when I started going to class, it was 2010, and he had just had a knee surgery. It took him like five years just to get the courage to do that one because he didn't want to do it. He finally had to get the other knee done. And he didn't want to. He needed to get both knees done. And he didn't. Exercise for Richard had gotten difficult. He was resting often in class and sometimes he used the back of a chair for support. All those years of, of aerobic exercise have really taken their toll. This is Winifred Moros, the nutritionist on Richard's team for over 20 years. And he hates surgery, hates doctors, terrified of any, of any kind of anesthesia. I think that Richard found solace in being able to lead a group of people in in exercise. This is regular Josh Latzer. And I feel like to have that taken from him was devastating for him. A bum knee seems like an obvious explanation, at least for some R&R, and at most, retirement. I mean, he's 68 now. Who would blame him for taking the gold watch and resting on his laurels for a while? But why not just say that? Why a full-scale withdrawal? Where does that fit in? So that's the first one, the knee theory. To discuss that second theory, I visit an old friend of Richard's, Allie Willis. Uh, I am Allie Willis. I'm a Grammy, Emmy, Tony, and Webby Award-winning and nominated uh, songwriter, artist, Designer, director, editor, animator, producer, collector, party thrower. 
party thrower. Absolutely. That's the most important one of all. Really? You didn't do enough research. <laughs> Allie's got an asymmetrical haircut and a garden of vintage bowling balls in her front yard. The glare off all the gold records in her studio is blinding. As a songwriter, she's a big deal. She wrote the theme song to Friends for Pete's sake. But her first big hit was back in 1978. And off that certified gold record success, she and her writing partner teamed up with Richard to make an exercise album called Reach. Good morning! Boy, am I gonna wake you up. Now listen, are you ready to bust your chops? Now come on. I mean, we were ecstatic with it, but we never dealt with the reality that every four bars there was gonna be screaming, leg up! Shoulder round, you know. <laughs> so that, for me... It's an exercise album. Slide those buns. Get ready, because this is for you! Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, shoulder round. Wake up your legs, wake up your thighs. But I'm not here to talk about music. I'm here to talk about Dalmatians. Anytime I would come over, there'd be... Dalmatians all over the place. Yeah. So. And this brings us to Richard Disappearance Theory number two, the dog theory. Around the time that Richard stopped going to class, he sent me an email. It said this, I'm sad to tell you, Hattie passed away. Very hard for me right now. See you soon. XO. Hattie is Richard's dog. Losing a dog sucks. There's no way around it. But for Richard, dogs have always been especially important. I tell Allie about Hattie's death. I sent him an email and he sent me an email saying his dog had died. Oh, that's huge, though. That's huge for him. Were they still Dalmatians? Yes. Only, I've never known him with any other dog. Yeah. That's so dangerous to get down to one. I mean, he doesn't need eight. Eight. That's how many dogs Richard had at one time. I think. It may have been more. To be honest, it's really hard to keep track. There was Scarlet, Ashley, Melanie, Prissy, Hattie, Marty, Pittypat. Bonus points if he figured out that Richard names his dogs after Gone with the Wind characters. Although I'm not sure where Marty came from. But I do know that Marty had puppies. So then there were more dogs, including Rhett, of course, and Brent, which he gave to his mom, Shirley. Anyway, it's a lot. A lot of dogs to love and dote on. And Richard did. Everyone agrees with that. But also, frankly, it's a lot of dogs to watch die, one by one. And Hattie was the last of the pack. She was 17. Oof. That's a, especially if you're down to one and you're in your house all the time, that's, that's big. I, I don't know about I'm never leaving my house again, but I, I know that would have been devastating. So for pretty much all of 2014, that's all I have to go on. The knee theory and the dog theory. Or maybe the one-two punch of both at the same time. It's not hard to imagine how that could bring on a whopping bout of depression. Especially if you're susceptible to that in the first place. Which Richard is. He's talked about it publicly before. The thing is, neither of those things require a complete and total retreat from the world and your friends and your life. You'd hope if he was having a tough year, that's exactly the time he'd look to his friends for support, even if he needed a little time alone at first. It doesn't explain the need to stop all communication or to physically hide for so long. 
And then, on January 24th, 2015, there's a break in the case. If you can call it a case. Can you call it a case? Let's say a break in the situation. First thing we're going to talk about, Richard Simmons. That's Harvey Levin, the owner and public face of TMZ, the celebrity gossip site. We have now spoken with the LAPD cops who went out there after there was an elder abuse report. TMZ reported that the Los Angeles Police Department paid a call to Richard Simmons' house in the Hollywood Hills. They were there to investigate a tip that someone called in. It claimed elder abuse, with Richard being the elder. Reportedly, the cops found nothing weird during their visit, and they didn't even file an official report about it. So that settles that, right? Not for me. Because if the cops even thought there was elder abuse going on, who's the alleged abuser? And with Richard talking to no one, as far as I know, who was in a position to A, know that information, and B, tip the cops off in the first place? I didn't know the answer to those questions, but I knew someone who might. In many ways, this person knew Richard before his disappearance better than anyone. Someone who, after months of conversations, cajoling, and arm-twisting, finally agreed to talk to me. Who called the police? Uh, It is a long story. Um... (laughs) It's all a long story, man. And this guy's story in particular? It's a doozy. That's next time on Missing Richard Simmons. And then he told me, look, I'm looking for an assistant. Would you be interested in work for me? I said, sure, no problem. The cops are saying that he is fine, that he is the boss of the house, and that this maid in no way, shape, or form is holding him hostage. And actually, he said, that's, that's Chanel. She only wears Chanel. On his housekeeper. If you're going to be a housekeeper, you might as well be one in Chanel, right? Well, she's devoted her main part of her life to Richard, so I trust she's happy and doing well. So she's the witch in the story. She's the witch in the story, and she's the witch in the real life. You mean a literal witch? Uh, in my opinion, yes. She's a witch. Missing Richard Simmons is a co-production of Pineapple Street Media, First Look Media, and Stitcher. We'll be back next week with another episode. Or if you can't wait that long, you can hear episode three right now on Stitcher Premium. To find out more, visit missingrichardsimmons.com. Missing Richard Simmons is produced by me, Dan Taberski, and Henry Malofsky. Additional production, research, and fact-checking by Diane Hodson. Joel Lovell is our editor. Our music is by Andrew Dost. Additional music from the motion picture Swiss Army Man by composers Andy Hull and Robert McDowell. We also used in this episode Richard by Julius Jetson featuring P. Keys. I love that song. This episode was mixed by Whitney Jones. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. Thanks also to Barry Finkel, Lindsay Mavis, and Ricky Nowitzki. The team at First Look Media is Adam Pincus, Tal Malad, Nick Bornstein, and Lisa Leingang. If you have any leads, theories, or Richard stories, I want to hear them. We set up a special voicemail. Call us at 402-93-SWEAT and leave us a message. That's 402-937-9328. And a huge thank you again to all the folks at Slimmons and friends of Richard who trusted me to tell this story. And don't forget what Richard says. If your oxygen mass drops down, it's time to take a breather.